Hi, this is Ashley and Maggie. Oh my God. And this is where you home. and this is where you continue. <laughs> <laughs> you have a well, script. <laughs> well, you were delayed too. I think it's because of <laughs> just oh. the internet. Oh no, our timing on that is not ideal. <laughs> All right, I think the slight delay aspect is 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 a new one, and it's fun. <laughs> Changing things up a little bit. Oh my gosh. Hi, this is Ashley. And Maggie. And you're listening to The Watering Hole. A place where <laughs> the pause is so long. I even started speaking before you finished. <laughs> I feel like we're like pretty on point for like the rest of it. I know. I don't know. Maybe this intro is just going to be a whirl. Hi, this is Ashley. And Maggie. And you're listening to The Watering Hole, a place where animals and animal enthusiasts regularly drink. Every episode, we'll talk about different animals and why they're cool, from basic biology to the threats they face and what people are doing about it, all while under the influence. Oh, you made it. Maggie, I can't. <laughs> Welcome to podcasting during quarantine. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. So this is going to be great. And, uh, you know, kind of like the rest of you out there, we're winging it um, because uh, we are not in the same location right now. And we happen to have a very poor internet connection. And uh, I finish speaking. And then there's three seconds in between when Ashley starts speaking because that's how slow it goes. And likewise, vice versa. It felt like it, it feels like it's fine, like normally talking, but in the intro, man, has never been, it's, there's never been so much dead air. It's insane. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. If there yeah. seems like there's a lot of pauses where we didn't get slower at talking, we just got worse internet connections. Or we but got But to be drunker. fair, or right, we'll blame it on the line. Um, to be fair, it was always our hope to remotely podcast because you moved to Maine and now we're in a pandemic where that's kind of how everyone has to do it anyway yeah um so here we are honestly we should have been doing this sooner but I was in uh New York quarantining for much longer than I thought without a microphone I also have now had the microphone for like two months that's not a great excuse but it's (laughs) It's okay. Nobody's really living their best lives right now. And that's a reminder to all you kids, all you cool cats and kittens out there. Nobody is living their best life oh during a fucking pandemic. So what, el- what else do we need to like inform people of? The fact that we're doing season three. Um, it's We're going to try to be a little, a little more professional sounding, I guess. Uh, Maybe. Honestly, uh, I think we're using a, a different way of recording because we're remote. And I, mm-hmm. I think the audio is going to sound, as much as it will maybe sound delayed between us talking, we'll right. try to work with that in the edit. Um, I think it might be the best it sound because sounds because, well, for one, I've, I've realized that I've definitely used my mic backwards a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So by season three, I've learned how to talk into a microphone, which I think is is real that's, progress. That's fantastic, Ashley. It's it's th- season three and year three, actually, now that we think about I, it. Also, like uh, video is what I do for a living. So how sad is that? <laughs> <laughs> like, don't um, tell my boss. God. Uh, yeah. Should we actually, you know, for our dedicated listeners, you know, 12 of them, should Hi, we? <laughs> def- my parents don't listen. My mom only listens while she's cleaning. (laughs) To each their own. Should we just kind of update our followers on how we're doing? What's new in our lives? I mean, is there anything new? There's really not. Where did we leave it? Well, we left it where our last episode, we were saying how we were going to be at the Environmental Film Festival. Mm, Well, I guess we did do a special episode. We did. We did a bonus episode to let everyone know that our live event couldn't happen because of the lockdowns and stay-at-home orders. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a couple months ago, so not much has changed. (laughs) Right? Well, that's the thing. It was more... It was like four months ago. I was at at dinner with my mom today. At dinner. We were sitting on our back porch eating dinner. Sorry. (laughs) I'm like, Ashley, we were not out of the house. (laughs) But I was just like the things that because like I had a really busy month of March planned. I had work mm-hmm. travel, yeah. I had personal travel, mm-hmm. I had the film festival, all planned, all got canceled because yeah. of COVID. But like after that, I didn't have like a ton of plans. But that was also mm-hmm. like almost four or five months ago, and I'm just like, where we're going into <sighs> August? We're recording this at the very end of July. I know, and like. We're two thirds done with this year, which is insane. That's insane. Absolutely crazy. And you're right. Like, I mean, obviously, this is not the summer that anybody imagined. Like, you were up in New York at your parents' house with literally five articles of clothing. Right. And then conversely, you know, Nick and I were going to go to Peru. Same thing. So, um, <laughs> uh, no. Things <Obviously>. happen. <laughs> Things happen. And uh, we're trying to cope. But um, yeah, living up in Maine has been all right. It's it's definitely really quiet. I've come down to D.C. once just to see some life, and that was all right too. So making do, making do. Yeah, but honestly, every time I see you out with Argos, like he went swimming the other day, and like, oh my gosh, what a boopies! Oh my goodness. It was insane. But Argos is like living his best life. And that's like. He is. So. That's the best oh thing my to gosh. See. One thing that you and I have already talked about, but I'm sure our listeners will appreciate is that um, we've been at home now with our dogs nonstop as many pet owners have been. And they're going to be in for a rude awakening when we all go back to the office. Mine can now attest to that because I've had to go back to the office. Um uh, well, also, I have a, I have a new job, everyone. Um, I'm an editor at a newspaper. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Um, it is pretty neat. Uh, but yeah, I had to go back to the office last week and stop working remotely. And apparently Argos has developed howling. Like mournful. Oh. oh. Honestly, Which he probably learned that from Ollie. Bad. Ollie's probably like, listen, when they leave, howl. They hate it. Everyone gets so mad. Yeah, Ollie's going to be real screwed. He has really horrible separation anxiety. Um, The longest he's now been left alone for like the past five months, I think, has been five hours. And he did remarkably well. 
good. Good boy. He, got, he did bring some time. bread off the counter, but he didn't open the bag. He just moved the bread. Okay. That's all right. And honestly, that's what I that's what I'm going to ask for, hope for. But Yeah. Just move bread around. Yeah. <sighs> should real. we talk about animals? Probably I mean we are, but should we talk about wild animals? Let's talk about wild animals. I'm excited to try to guess. This is my favorite part. Um I've made it kind of easy for you. I I think. Okay. All right. All um, right. Because the animal I'm doing has a bunch of nicknames. Ooh. And so I I figured that was the best way to start because okay. they're they're some of my favorite parts. I mean, this animal's awesome. Um, but their nicknames are just spot on. I wish I had this many nicknames. Maybe not the same kind, but uh, I'm going to start. Okay. I'll uh, I'll list them off slowly. Okay. Mainly because I- of our internet connection, but I'll give you some space in between. <clears throat> All right. So let's start with these nicknames. So we've got <laughs> Snot Otter, Lasagna Lizard. Okay. Allegheny Alligator. It's a hellbender. Yes, it is. Yes. Well done. I also had Devil Dog and Grampus on there. Um, and there's actually like a handful more like combination, like Mud Dog was one. Um, but, but yeah, so Hellbenders, what I'm doing, specifically the Eastern Hellbender. Fuck yeah. Their Latin name is Crypto. Brancus eleganinus. Sounds great. That's pretty close. But the first part, crypt. Did you just hear that? What Sorry, was that? I knocked over some nail polish. Oh, did hear it? I talk with my hands even on Zoom. Oh, she's gone. I don't know where she went. She didn't tell me. Maggie, I wanted to get my hellbender hat. Oh, that's a perfect reason to leave. That's awesome. Where did you get that? Hellbender Brewery in Washington D.C. Oh shit! I've I went, my, my so my parents' favorite thing to do, which is great being home, is to just go to breweries. And I remember that being an option when they were coming down to D.C. We just didn't go. I'm gonna have to go, mainly for that hat. Yeah, it's my favorite hat actually. Oh, that's awesome! Oh, that's so exciting! All right, so uh, back to this Latin name, Cryptobranchus, yeah. the first part, the genus. Um means crypto means hidden like um mm-hmm. I, I was thought i knew other things crypto just means like crypto cryptology like secrety yeah that's what i think of and then bronchus like think of like your brachia your lungs so it or, means uh, hidden lung yeah bronchitis bron- oh wrong yes. bron- i was gonna say brontosaurus but that ain't it right i don't think i don't i don't think brachiosaurus, so but my- brachiosaurus sure they had lungs i bet um so we'll kind of get into that a little bit later and then the alleghenius refers to the allegheny i think the allegheny watershed um where mm-hmm, a lot of them mm-hmm. are found here on the east coast but i'm sure maggie you and our listeners are wondering about the name hellbender because yeah. it's such a distinct name and where that comes from and so a lot of the kind of there's no like real like origin like this is where it was first written down but the theory is that a lot of um, when settlers first saw this creature and identified it they said and I quote it was a creature from hell where it's bent on returning so it looked like it like climbed from (laughs) apparently they think it looks like some kind of like demon or like it's not pretty I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie (laughs) they're like the cute kind of ugly but emphasis on the ugly 
but they're actually pretty harmless unless you're a crayfish. So um, <laughs> let me get a little bit into what these guys look like and why maybe yeah. people apparently thought they looked like they were bent on returning from hell. Um, did you already say that they are amphibians? Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's good to know um but yeah so they are amphibians they're uh so they're hellbender salamander and they're actually the third largest salamander in the world after uh the chinese giant salamander and the japanese giant salamander but they are the largest in the states so that's third cool. largest overall largest in the states what does that mean um, you're probably going to tell us like how big you don't think i'm going to list for you verbatim how heavy and the size of these guys you only do um, it every episode i actually took that into account um i do know in length i didn't actually write down the length but um side note this will come up later i did spend a summer at the buffalo zoo in buffalo new york um as a docent so those are the people who like stand outside of exhibits and like give you information about the animals and i had four stations and one of them was a hellbender station oh so granted this was like five or six years ago but i still have some hellbender knowledge and they usually average around two feet in length so in terms of those size you know rankings they are rivaled in length by the reticulated siren um which is a a another amphibian but it's much leaner Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not as big, like, overall, but it's pretty long. And then they're actually the fourth heaviest amphibian, um, up to five and a half pounds, because the Goliath frog is actually (laughs) third place in terms of the heaviest. So I guess, like, for size, they must take into consideration, like, length and, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what large means. It must be a combination of length and weight. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how to respond to that. You're right. Um, So what do these guys look like? So they have a long, flat body and short little stubby legs. They got four toes on the front. (laughs) Like me. (laughs) Maggie is a hellbender salamander. It's true. Um, They have four toes on their front legs and then five toes on the back. Also me. And then Maggie's missing a couple of toes on her hands. Um, (laughs) A couple of toes on my hand, you just said? (laughs) I did. They don't have fingers. And I sip a rosé. They have tiny little beady eyes on the top of their flat head and slimy skin. Um, And then I put in parentheses, is this what demons look like? Like, when I picture a demon, I don't picture a salamander. I picture like a a creepy person, goblin kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Very uh, red and pinkish faced, maybe with like a creepy beard right some claws i don't picture a two-foot salamander they are big granted but like Mm -hmm. not scary i feel like Um, the people that first said that they were uh bent on returning to hell were pansies like these are not that ugly (laughs) they were like pretty lame they were definitely being melodramatic here (laughs) there are people who like saw a spider and like flipped the fuck out and you're like dude it's a spider that's a daddy long legs. Calm down. You're fine. So their skin is a blotchy brown, kind of can be a red brown in color, and then they have a paler underbelly. Um, however, their most distinguishing characteristic is probably that they have thick folds all over their body. Basically, <laughs> they look like they ordered their skin a couple sizes too big. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> and they're just like really trying to keep it on. Those are my favorite kinds of facts. <laughs> but these guys are insane. And the reason they have so many skin folds is because of increased surface area. Oh, okay. Which is just super exciting to talk about because like, like I said, the or like Maggie reminded me to mention, these guys are amphibians. <laughs> and so they breathe through their skin. So if you have more skin, you can essentially breathe more because there's more areas where that gas transfer. I'm not going to act like I know the techno- technical terms um, while I'm drinking this wine. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, they absorb oxygen from the water through capillaries in their side frills, as one article referred to them. Um, so if you have more side frills, you get more oxygen. And honestly, if I had to grow more skin to breathe better, I would because... I'm not the what, best breather. <laughs> what was it? It was last season, I think, we talked about the Mata Mata turtle that had mm-hmm. skin flaps. And they weren't Ooh. necessarily sure what it was used for, but it was possibly for, like, soaking up mm. oxygen out of the water that they lived in because they're very sedentary and they hang out in the under dead leaves in the water. So, like, oxygen yeah. ain't that good to come by so they could use their skin flaps to collect as much as they could. How did I remember that, guys? Well, well done. But yeah, so if you if you want to breathe better and you're amphibian or, or or even a reptile in that case, but get more skin. <laughs> Do it. Ew, gross. Now that's making me think right? of like Silence of the Lambs or like oh. The Walking Dead, The Whisperers. The lotion on the skin or else it gets the... The what yeah. again? What does it get? The, the, or else it gets the, I don't know. Oh, I don't remember now. Hose? No. Everybody is screaming at us. I know. Except or it mom. gets the hose. It's hose. It's hose again. Oh, thank God. All right. But I will say, do you remember back when I was saying their Latin name so eloquently? Yes. That their name means hidden lung. So these guys actually do have oh, working lungs. Wow. Super. Yeah, that's really um, cool. Putting it all together. So I didn't go a lot into it into my research, but I think a lot of it's used for like buoyancy, floating up and down because they live a lot in streams. Um, mm-hmm. But they pretty much only breathe through their skin. They don't actually use their little lungs. They're kind of just leftovers. <laughs> but so the next thing I have, I put in caps because this is very crucial. They are not a mud puppy. Now, a mud <laughs> puppy is a thing. But it's not a hellbender. Um, and I think part of the confusion is because they have all those nicknames and one of them is like M- mud dog. Um, and then I think mud puppies are also called like mud skippers. But the main thing is that mud puppies have external gills and are much smaller. Where hellbenders are big and they don't have external gills. So that's the be- main way you can tell a mud puppy and a hellbender apart. Am I the only one that thought mud puppy is like some kind of southern dessert? <laughs> I think so. Are you thinking about hush puppies? That might be it. I mean, I I know Which what a hush like puppy potatoes, was, but it did so cross. Delicious. It did cross my mind when you said mud puppy. I was like, it sounds like hush puppy, but mud puppy makes me think of like mud pie and uh, I don't know something southern. Which speaking of, oh my gosh, when I was a kid, I uh, would play around in our in our backyard, which had a creek running through it, and I would just constantly play in the mud, and there were two times that I made a mud ball like the perfect most perfectly round squishy but not too squishy mud ball 
and I wanted to keep it forever. So I put it in our downstairs freezer where my parents kept like all the extra like summertime hot dogs, hamburgers, pizzas. And that mud ball sat there. I kid you not for at least three years. It was there every time, every summer I'd go down and be like, well, it was still there. And then finally, I think I turned like 17. I was like, this should probably go outside. Maybe maybe we don't need to keep this clump of dirt in the freezer anymore. Oh God, what is wrong with me? <laughs> we do weird things. I still do weird things. I don't know that I've ever kept puppy. a ball of mud in the freezer, but you know, also a bud. <laughs> okay, so we went blueberry picking, and we picked like my parents picked seven pounds of blueberries, and then my sister was in town, so we picked nineteen pounds of blueberries. So we had a lot of blueberries. Mm-hmm. So my mom froze a good portion of them, yeah. which makes sense for like smoothies or like desserts or whatever. Well, she defrosted them and they were squishy because that's what happens when you defrost frozen fruit. And she was really yep. upset. She thought they would just be normal blueberries. And I was like, <laughs> this is the first time any kind of like culinary information I've like surpassed my mom. I was like, what did you think? You thought you were just going to get normal blueberries back? Like, <laughs> that's not how freezing fruit works. It's adorable. Anyway. All right. So where can you find these hellbenders? Tell me. Um, so the eastern United States. That's where you can find the eastern hellbender. Um, from southern New York all the way down to northern Georgia. And then I listed a bunch of states that they're found in, but I'm not going to bore you with that. So where... <laughs> on the eastern coast can you find them so they're actually a habitat specialist they're pretty bougie and they Mm -hmm. fill a very specific niche within um their environment so this is in quotes success is dependent on a constancy of dissolved oxygen temperature and flow found in swift water areas so what that means is that they're very temperature specific and that they like fast moving waters and um which typically is that sounded the way I said that to myself <laughs> sounded like I was breaking up over the internet to myself, which oh, was great. Um, so they like really narrow streams because water tends to move faster there. Um, and they like to hang out under rocks. That's kind of what where their challenges come in. I feel like that shouldn't be a s- surprise in terms of conservation is that they are very specific to very they like certain habitats and that's where they're going to flourish. And so if something goes awry, they're not going to be found there anymore. But another thing to point out, and actually I, I like scrolled by a video the other day that related to this, oddly enough. So they like to, to hang out under flat rocks. And have, if you've ever been hiking, you've probably seen Cairns. C-A-I-R-N-S. Cairns? Is how you pronounce it? Cairns. Cairns? Like, there we go. They're the stacks they're of rocks. rocks. Yeah. Yes. So in streams, they're not good to have depending on what wildlife is there but most of the time especially in streams you kind of want to leave those flat rocks there because there's a lot of animals like hellbenders who depend on living under those rocks so by moving those rocks you might be disrupting a habitat disrupting a Mm -hmm. nest so as much as they're cool and maybe fun to i've never done it because i can't balance things for shit there actually can be pretty disruptive for hellbenders so in a stream don't do it if you're like on top of a mountain maybe I don't know who's living under there, but if you're moving rocks, you're probably moving somebody's house. So mm-hmm, just keep that mm-hmm. in mind um, if you're an avid hiker. I would say if even if you're in the mountains, don't then because you could be moving the home of an axolotl. Ooh, also true. Guys, how am I remembering things? I'm very impressed. It's been a while. You've just been you've been holding all this information and you just need to let it go. But yeah, I think there's something to be said of like, you know, leave nothing 
but footprints or or it's more yeah. eloquent than that but you're not gonna get that from me but just, just don't touch anything <laughs> but so what do they do i think that's important what do what do hellbenders do well for the most part they hang out under rocks um so don't touch the rocks but they'll go out to breed and they'll go out to hunt they're somewhat nocturnal and their peak activity is reported two hours after dark is when they're doing the most uh, stuff so they hunt crayfish they'll also eat small fish they'll eat other hellbenders tadpoles toads and water snakes but crayfish is the main thing um and they're ambush predators which is fun because like a lot of like big carnivores are also ambush predators but so are these I mean, they're not tiny salamanders, but they're much smaller than like a lion. So they'll just sit and wait until something yummy comes by and they'll just go and get it. So then I have a list of fast facts, which means, which will be slightly delayed facts because of internet um, connectivity, but they're going to be as fast as possible. Okay. Maggie, are you ready? I think so. I've turned this into a game show because that's the kind of person I am. Are you ready? It is. I am. All right. How long have hellbenders been around? Like the species as a whole? Uh, I'm going to say 1.6 billion years, 65 million years. So okay. a little bit, a little bit less, but still okay. a long time. Right idea. Uh, how long do hellbenders live in the wild? Uh, 15 to 25 years. Oh, you got part of it right, but flipped 25 to 30 years. Oh, so they can okay. get pretty old. Uh, and they actually reach sexual maturity. Not until they're like five, six, seven, eight years old. Um, Five, so it six, takes a pretty seven, long time eight. before they can reproduce. That was really delayed, your video versus your audio. So I just saw your mouth moving and I was like, what in the fuck is she saying? I'm like a ghost. Uh, it was great. <laughs> um, okay, I said that they eat a lot of crayfish. What percentage of their diet do you think is crayfish? 75%. Close, 90%. Eat a lot of crayfish. All right. Do you, hellbenders prefer to walk or swim underwater? Walk. You're right. I could tell by the, by your by your mouth movements that you got it right. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. All right. Who's in charge of the eggs? Males or females? Uh, you wouldn't ask this unless it was weird. So I'm going to say males. Yeah. Yep. So the males are. They actually make a burrow and they'll they'll oh. defend it. They'll bring the lady in and they'll they'll externally fertilize. So like she lays eggs, he lays a little lays his sperm. He like disperses a little sperm, um, oh. and then he chases her off and he'll it's defend so um, the burrow until I think it's like seventy five days till they right. Isn't that ro- that's romance for you? <laughs> it's yeah. romance in the time of quarantine. And then how many eggs are typically laid? Oh gosh, um, I'm gonna say three hundred. All right, you're not too far off. So it said two strings of between 200 and 400 eggs so then that's like between 400 and 800 anyway there are strings of eggs and then they form this big like softball sized mass of just like jelly eggs which is great Um, and then you get a bunch of little baby hellfenders hellfenders hellbenders well done maggie i have to say for my fast facts you did excellent thank you. you that was fun actually i really enjoyed that Right? I oh Man, I love games. So in terms of conservation challenges, so luckily there's been a lot of attention to hellbenders, I feel like, for the past like decade or so about bringing these guys back because there are, they're a good indicator of a healthy ecosystem because they're so, you know, focused in on um, their environment. Only one population that's in Missouri is protected under the Endangered Species Act, though. The other ones aren't. Huh. 
considered vulnerable enough to be um, protected under the vulnerable? Endangered Species Act. It sounded like you went underwater when you Vul- said that vulnerable word. I did. I was hanging out with the hellbenders. Um, <laughs> and then they're IUCN red listed as near threatened okay. um, as a species overall. Um, so I feel like they're their uh threats are you, they're pretty predictable um shrinking habitat due to stream modifications that includes when dams are built um built <laughs> um it stops the flow of water and they need fast moving water so that can be problematic any kind of industrial or agricultural runoff there's lots of mining where heavy metals and toxins also get into the water Basically, anything going into the water that's not supposed to be there is going to affect our amphibian friends, mm-hmm. especially hellbenders. Um, and then when water is warm uh, with climate change, warming waters is not good for hellbenders. So how can you help? Honestly, one of the biggest things is to educate yourself and others about the importance of hellbenders. Know if they're in the local ecosystems. There's lots of hellbender reintroduction projects going on. I know when I worked at the Buffalo Zoo, they were raising a bunch of hellbenders to maturity because they don't reach maturity, like I said, until, mm-hmm. you know, five, six, seven years. But once they reach that age, they're much more likely to survive in the water. So volunteering for projects like that. Um, but then also, apparently, there's this myth that hellbenders are venomous, which is not true. Mm. They're pretty much they're not going to do anything to you if you're not a crayfish. Um, so making sure, so a lot of times fishermen will catch them and if they think they're venomous, they'll kill them if they catch them on their lines. Um, so just trying to dispel that myth that they're venomous so that people understand that they're not going to hurt you. They're not going to do anything bad. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're here means that this is a healthy stream. Special thanks to my sources, uh, Fish and Wildlife, Defenders of Wildlife, Wired, Smithsonian, um, and then, of course, a little bit of Wikipedia because we all need a little bit of wiki. Yes. Very good. And that's Hellbenders for you, Maggie. Loved it. clapping. That was fantastic. I love it. I love it. I was really nervous, and by the end, I was definitely talking a lot faster, so apologies, but... No, this is this was great. We, you have wanted to do Hellbenders for a while, so I'm so glad that we're kicking off season... Uh, kicking off season three. <laughs> what season are we on? Uh, I'm going to take a wine break and refill. How's that sound? That sounds good. How much do I have? I'm, I think I'm good, so go, go, go! Um, all right, so are you ready for your hints? Oh my God, I'm so ready. I have a couple different kinds of hints, um, but we're going to start with obviously the most difficult one, and I still believe in you, so uh, we'll see how it goes. I I also want to point out that this animal was suggested to us over Instagram, Uh, so your voice too can be heard, audience members. Okay, the first hint is, not all who wander are lost which is a quote that was said by J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, but not by any animal. <laughs> Famously. <laughs> Emphasis on the word wander. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need another clue. <laughs> okay. Do you want the Latin name or do you want like a really good, easy clue? Latin name. You know me. Come on, Maggie. You know your audience. Diomedia exulans. Oh fuck. Diomedia exulans. Diomedia. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Di. It's like day or sun. No. So, 
exilons in Latin means exile or wanderer. Okay, you're, you think that the wandering's going to help me here. It didn't help me before. Wander in Latin is not going to help me now. <laughs> okay, uh, what kind of creature was the... What what was the big creature in the rescuers and the rescuers down under that helped the mice get around? Oh, there was a big there was a big bird. <laughs> it's a a stork, an ibis. Uh... <laughs> the rescuers. I, you said that they helped the mice, and it was a was it an albatross? <laughs> yes, motherfucker. I was literally gonna say albatross was my first guess when you said wanderer. <laughs> Fuck, I'm so mad at myself. Oh my gosh, you gotta trust your gut. I am doing the wandering albatross. Oh, I should have. It's, you know what? It's the, the, fuck, I'm so mad at myself. I was so gonna guess it. Oh my gosh. Terrible, terrible. Okay, well, I'm, I'm very excited to be doing the wandering albatross. The wandering albatross in Greek, again, it's Diomedia Media Exulans. Diomedia is the Greek hero in the Trojan War. Uh, a Greek hero. One of <laughs> there the, was one just of the one. big ones, like next to Ajax and Achilles. Yeah, all that. And in mythology, all of his friends turned into birds. So <gasps> this is kind of how oh it all God. comes I, together. I was, uh, to be a Greek god, I'd want all my friends to turn into birds. Maybe as long as would. I could turn into birds with them. Right. <laughs> it'd um, be weird if then I couldn't talk to them anymore. It'd be so weird. They'd just be circling you constantly, being like, what the fuck did you do to us? Throw them some bread. <laughs> bread that Ollie has just carefully put on the floor for you. <laughs> that he's he's brought down. He's been he's been preparing for this oh for, for months now. Oh my god. Um, okay, so what is an albatross? It's obviously a bird, guys. Um, but albatrosses are members of a cool class of birds called uh, Procellariformis. Procellariform Procellariformis. Oh. Something like that. Oh. Procellariformis include a couple different kinds of birds, including uh, albatrosses, petrels, and shearwaters, and um, it's it's a family. It's an order, excuse me, of seabirds. So birds that primarily spend their lives out on the open ocean or pelagic lives. Um, that means they feed in the open ocean. And what kind of makes these birds really exceptional is that they get their water from drinking salt water and they have these tubed noses that they can expel salt out of like their what looks to be their nostrils. Oh. So it's very cool. Um, you That's can insane. Google an albatross, a petrel, shearwater and and check out their noses. That reminds me of um, our uh, Galapagos Nope, our marine iguanas who also got rid of salt through their noses. And yeah, apparently that's yeah, like exactly the thing to do if you have too much salt. It is very cool how uh, evolution figures out what works, right? I just I'm constantly amazed. Also, this the idea of salt coming out of my nose feels seems so painful, but I I, I, I know. understand that if you're evolved that way, it's probably not the case. It's terrible. So what do these birds look like? Because they're seabirds, they are um, very much equipped for life out on the water. So imagine a big, it, 
you know, for lack of better description, it kind of looks like a big gull. I'm not saying seagull because that is not actually a bird. That's just what humans have wrongfully called them. Looks like a big gull. They are white bodied with black and gray wings. But the great and cool thing about wandering albatross is that they have the largest wingspan of any bird in the world. (gasps) So that's about 3.5 meters across or 11 feet long. Think about that. Oh, shit. 11 That's feet. like two of me. I know. So they are I'm one amazing. albatross wing in size. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You are. So um, I think it's, you know, they were absolutely built to be spending life out on the sea. You would think, oh, if they're that big, they must be kind of heavy. They're not. So they're like anywhere from six to 12 kilograms or roughly 19 pounds in the middle of all that. So they're really light. Um, They're not super aerodynamic, but they, um, because of their wings, they actually can glide really efficiently, which is, is fascinating. So they can soar for hours at a time without flapping their wings. And they use less hours, hours, hours. I haven't even gotten to like the coolest stuff about these guys flying. Like I'm, I'm jumping right into the cool stuff because I want to hook you guys. Like this is just, they're the most amazing. Oh, I'm hooked just like their beaks so they use less energy while flying than they do sitting on a nest that's how efficient they are at flying wait they what yes so um like i mean this is partially where their name came from right wandering albatross they they were made to be in the air they are not made to be on water they can or like not made to be on land pardon me they do land on water occasionally uh, when they're feeding, but they they aren't like expending a lot of energy, so they don't need to sit down and rest. Like they can rest while they're flying, and like a lot of other birds that migrate exceptionally long distances, they can turn off half of their brain while they're flying to rest, and like the other half just kind of steers. So they're like on autopilot. Could you imagine if like you were drive like when you drive from like Maine to DC, yeah. if you could drive but turn off half your brain to rest Mm -hmm. like that would be fantastic yeah yeah it's it's absolutely amazing so a little bit more stats uh, more stats on on them flying they can fly 10,000 kilometers or 6,000 miles in a month fuck Mm -hmm. yeah that's insane so what what are they doing what does that exactly mean so these albatrosses are found primarily in the Southern Ocean and circumpolar regions. That means they're like just above where Antarctica is in the latitudes there. And they mm-hmm. they fly all around the globe, really just just looking for food. And eventually they'll go to their breeding grounds, like where they were born, to go back and breed. But they so infrequently do that. They're just flying all over. Like they can be found in the Indian, Pacific, and Atlantic Oceans. So I say Southern Ocean, and obviously that's not actually an ocean. It's just refers to like the part of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they they can be found mostly just throughout the Southern Hemisphere. And I did see them when I was down in Antarctica, and it was just the coolest thing to just see these birds flying around because they are quite huge and impressive and like they have no interest in landing on the boat like other birds might you know they're just like oh 
you mm-hmm. might have some food, which I can also get into in just a moment. I can't imagine seeing them in person. I mean, I feel yeah. like they're like in my head they're big, but I feel like in person they'd I'd just be like I was not expecting. Yeah, them. and I I didn't as even as much as you told me they're eleven foot wingspan. Mm-hmm. Like I was, they've got to be huge. It, they definitely are, and so like. When you're on a boat or when you're um, like wildlife watching, it's really hard to gauge how big something is. And I say when you're on a boat because like mm-hmm. the ocean is completely massive. You can't actually write like see how how big something is. These birds looked completely normal sized and they were like, you know, a quarter mile away. So that's just to give you an idea of how big they were. I have a few pictures of them, not great ones, but that was also because we were going through the Drake Passage, which is like infamous for its uh, waves and and rough seas, and it was really rocky. But anyway, so a little bit more about uh, their flying because, again, it's super cool. They can fly up to 40 kilometers an, hour, kilometers an hour or 24 miles an hour. So not that fast. They glide. They coast. I mean, it's faster than I move ever. Right. Right. not in a car. So. And I mentioned that they are circumpolar. They're just flying around looking for food and they very rarely go to land. They only go to land to breed. And that's roughly, I'm going to get more into it. That's roughly though every two years, but they can go up to five years without ever setting foot on land. Stop. Isn't this amazing? They were made to do this. We can't comprehend this, but like they were made to not be on land. Could you imagine? No, I'm like, I'm not a lazy person, but like I'm good being like sedentary. Thank you. (laughs) Could you imagine constantly moving? Granted, you're flying or gliding. For five years. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that insane? insane. So what are they doing while they're flying and gliding? They're looking for fish, like I said. Uh, Fish, not just fish. Um, They also eat cephalopods uh, or crustaceans. Whatever's hanging out kind of on the surface of the ocean. Like many seabirds, they'll make shallow dives when they're feeding and they'll, they'll frequently scavenge. So like if something is dead floating at the surface, they'll be like fuck yeah like a bonus um that's like takeout for them super it is it is um and they'll often follow ships when they come across them and like try to pick up some of their garbage or um they'll even notice a lot of fishing vessels and like try to get whatever fish they're pulling up in their nets which consequently is the biggest threat to their conservation which we'll get more into in just Mm. a moment but besides these these uh, fishing vessels, they have almost no natural predators. Like, because they're so rarely on the water's surface, they're not, like, really running into any predators that want to eat them there. Like, sure, a, a killer whale might, if it's desperate, like, try to snag an albatross, but that's a lot of feathers that it doesn't want to deal with. And maybe <laughs> a maybe a great white shark might want to grab one. But kind of similar to a lot of other seabirds, like, they can fly away. They can just get up and, and move if something's uh, underwater trying to get them. So they really don't have a lot of natural predators. And because they're so big, nothing in the air is looking to get them either. A lot of the islands that they mate on and breed on don't have land predators. So yeah, that's that's kind of, they're really lucky in that regard that they've created this own niche for themselves. I was to say, I feel like birds as a whole have like really figured it out with this whole flying thing mm-hmm. where like a lot of the times like birds are good because 
nothing else is really in the air other than like maybe some other birds are gonna go after mm-hmm. them but a lot of times like birds are pretty solid especially seabirds because nothing's jumping out of the water like right high high enough to grab them although i've definitely seen videos of like massive fish or something like jumping mm-hmm. out of the water mm-hmm. to get a bird yeah which is insane, but I feel like also very, very rare. And like up north uh, here in Maine, we have a lot of seabirds, um, including terns and petrels and puffins. And the predators that go after them are actually mostly terrestrial or land-based birds themselves, like owls. We have, Great horned owls are, are mm-hmm. uh, pain in the ass to puffins and terns, um, <laughs> minks and things like that. Like they'll, they'll go after these birds, but those are things that the albatrosses don't have to deal with. So it's kind of cool. Listen, you just stay in the air for five years. And you won't have to worry <laughs> Nobody about a great horned owl. <laughs> it's great. <gasps> so where are they breeding? Um, South Georgia Islands, including mm-hmm. a few others that are in that circumpolar region. So this range throughout the Southern Ocean, like uh, like islands like Crozet, Caruglian, Marion, Prince Edward. I don't know. I don't. You can cut that out. Oh yeah, I know those islands for sure. Right. That makes it means nothing to me, but I think they have something to do with New Zealand. These birds, they become sexually mature at eleven years old. Oh shit! So that takes them a while, which means how long do they live? I think some people, you included, Ashley, are probably familiar with a very famous albatross called Wisdom. She was not a wandering albatross. She was a Lysan albatross. She is or was uh, about 65 years old. So they can live up to 60. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very cute. They'll mate for life and they'll breed every two years, which is quite adorable. So they they have this courting ritual every time they encounter or like like rejoin each other. If you Mm -hmm. haven't seen it before, you should definitely Google albatross courting ritual or mating ritual because they do this really amazing dance together. And it's so choreographed you would think like how do they know that they're moving how do they know that the male is moving this way when the female is moving that way and it's it's actually interesting because they kind of develop their own special dance between the two of them which is really sweet oh maybe that's why I love birds so much it's like so much of their like mating rituals are like dance related and I'm really big into like theater and Broadway there you go. And maybe that's where the crossover that's is that's it that's it I find it so romantic actually like I just can't oh. can't uh. Broadway birds I love it <laughs> So the the pair will create nests out of mud and grass and they'll lay one egg and then mom and dad will take turns incubating. Oh. Once the egg hatches, they will take turns going out to get food and eventually they'll both go out to hunt at the same time, leaving the chick alone for longer intervals, thus like encouraging the chick to, to fledge, aka leave the nest. Is that what my parents are doing when they go out for a while? <laughs> Encouraging me to fledge quarantining at home? Is that what your parents are doing when they don't cook you dinner at night? <laughs> right. Oh, my God. I was like, I had to make sure I ate dinner before this episode because if my mom walked in with dinner again while we were talking, I was like, I'm never going to live this I would not let you hear the end of it. <laughs> so Megan and I were, were talking just not recording a podcast. And we were on like a Google Hangout or whatever. And Maggie was like, how is it living at home? And I was like, you know, it has its ups and downs. And then like on cue, my mom walked in with my dinner plate. 
I know that she had made me. I was like, okay, so it has like a lot of ups, but I can't handle it. I do like I mean, cooking. Like my mom will be like, "Oh, aren't you happy that I made you dinner?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, but like you always make dinner." But like when I live <laughs> when I live alone for like the past five years, I make myself dinner. <laughs> right, right. No, moms are the best. Every time I go home, my mom's oh. like, "Here, do you want some more food? Eat more, eat more. You're too skinny." I'm like, "That's because I eat pancakes and salad for dinner." <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a full balanced meal, Maggie. I don't know what you're talking about. It's what I had for dinner tonight, everyone. It was completely balanced. Um, albatrosses. Uh, so it is, it is really sweet that because they mate for life, like there is going to be a time of course, when one of them doesn't come back to the nest and evidence suggests that they might repair with another, another bird. But I just find it so sad. (laughs) Again, I am. I just think these birds are like hopeless romantics, like me. That's just kind of how I anthropomorphize them. But anyway, a little bit more about them. There are roughly twenty-five thousand plus in the wild, and over eight thousand breeding pairs. That's what we estimate. And unfortunately, as I mentioned, because of fishing vessels, which I will tell a little bit more in a second. That was so awkward uh, how I just said that. Um, No, you did great. I thought it sounded perfect and not awkward at all. (laughs) So I'll tell um, a little bit more in a second. Oh, my God. So let's try again. Take two. (laughs) Scene. (laughs) I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to make make things connect and transition, and I just – I can't. I can't right now. Your transitions are beautiful. It's like, you know, on PowerPoint when things dissolve one into another. You're like a PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) I'm dissolving and then re-emerging. I'm like a phoenix. Beautiful. Like a phoenix. So since the 1950s, unfortunately, 70% have, 70% of the population has been lost. And uh, that is primarily because of uh, fishing vessels. And what does that mean exactly? Albatrosses are often caught as bycatch, which we've talked about before. It just means like the unintentional catching of, of animals in nets that were not what the fishermen were trying to catch. So unfortunately, you know, that, that is a problem. But then on top of that, overfishing and illegal and unreported fishing is, is a huge global problem. Something that my last employer, the Marine Stewardship Council is actually working to combat. And that's because like we are exploiting our oceans of the resources that they provide. And if we overfish, faster than the ocean can replenish itself and like repopulate fish fish populations then we're out of food like and that's going to mm-hmm. just completely throw the entire ecological balance out of whack mm-hmm. and with this overfishing albatrosses and other seabirds being caught in the, in the nets and um are really just decimating populations not just of albatrosses but of other seabirds like i said so what is being done to combat that? Well, right before we started this podcast, I told Ashley, I'm reading an article. Can you like pause before we get started? So I ended up reading this and we did. So the, the headline of this article was super cool. It was the albatrosses who catch pirates on the high seas. 
Oh, fuck. Super cool. Well, now so, I understand why you wanted me to pause. I was I was so stoked to learn about this. So um, it, it ended up talking about these researchers that are like, if an albatross can fly 10,000 kilometers in a month, why aren't we taking advantage of that? Because they're seeing so much more than any kind of uh, mm. like Coast Guard can patrol in the oceans like oh yeah you know illegal and unreported fishing uh can't really be enforced or monitored properly but if these birds are flying around and they see ships and they want to go like get food from them why don't we put trackers on these birds so that we can then go track down the bad guys so um a research project uh has equipped a lot of albatrosses, uh, wandering albatrosses, especially calling them ocean sentinels um, oh, so that they can collect the the data needed basically for their own conservation. And it is very cool. Like they will detect the, the tracking systems on these birds will detect a fishing vessel. It'll alert authorities. And if that if the tracking device like mm-hmm. doesn't move, then they know that bird has just been killed. So they're able to track down the the fishing gotcha. vessel and then find out like, are you fishing legally or not kind of thing. Yeah. So pretty cool that the birds That's- are being used to for their own salvation. <laughs> they're like little spy birds. I love it. Well, they're giant yeah. spy birds, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Super cool. Yeah. So that really is it about the albatrosses. Cool things, though, generally to protect seabirds, it's the same that you would do for pretty much any any animal is just think like, okay, if I am littering, how might this be affecting the bigger system? And like, for example, plastic in the ocean, like these guys we Mm -hmm. said are scavengers. They are often picking up plastic particles and then bringing it back to their nest and feeding their babies, which then Mm -hmm. die of starvation because their stomach is full of plastic kind of thing. So like simple things that you can do really do have an impact on the whole planet. Yeah. I feel like a lot of those pictures that you see, there's like a bunch of, of series of like basically a dead bird with its stomach exposed mm-hmm. and like all the plastic that was found in it and I feel like maybe not specifically albatrosses but seabirds and specifically are super prone to that because of all the plastic that ends up in our ocean and you can just see mm-hmm. like plastic bottle caps or like parts of plastic yeah. razors and like that's something that very directly affects seabirds Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely does. And, you know, I said that the main the main issue is is fishing vessel, vessels, but the plastic issue definitely affects all seabirds as fishing vessels do, too. So, um, again, being aware. Another thing that you can do is if you're going to purchase seafood to eat for yourself, be aware of where it's coming from. Look for independent certifiers like the Marine Stewardship Council, which work with different fishing industry around the world that are actually trying to actively reduce their bycatch. And they have some really great stats on um, like specifically seabirds that have been protected by different fisheries. So, you know, asking where, asking where your food comes from, asking where your products Mm -hmm. come from is always just a good starting point in ways that you can make a difference. 
Right. Uh, but right. that's awesome. Albatross are awesome. I'm so glad you did them. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little jealous that you have more access to our Instagram than I do for the great recommendations. <laughs> Speaking of, if you like our podcast, check out our Instagram at the watering hole pod and subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening and give us a review. It'll help us reach new fans and get them excited about wildlife too. We also have a website. Don't know if you knew the wateringholepod.com. Check it out and thank you. So yeah, I think I think that maybe does it for episode one, season three. I think I think so. I think Maggie, are we back? And we're back. Are we gonna try to release these even more even sooner than we released season two? We probably should, just so that it's a little timely and uh It'll keep us accountable, probably. Right? Also, like, I, I, I got more time on my hands now. <laughs> I know. It's not like we're going out and socializing. My God. Right? I don't have to account for commutes to and from work anymore. That's like an hour of my day. Hour and a half. I've got back. I know. Great. Also, we got to remind you guys that uh, though we are enthusiasts, we're not scientists. We're not experts. So please remember, don't cite us in anything professional. Just don't. No. Um. <laughs> But, you know, we want you to do your research and get excited about these animals just like we are. So there you have it. Thank you guys for joining us on this episode, this very special remote episode one, season three. Tune in next time when we learn about more animals, their biology and habitat, the threats they face, and what people are doing about it. We'll see you soon. Bye.